Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service now, so I hope you have your Bibles available to you. Let's get them out and get them ready to go. And we'll start with prayer. Lord, as we open our Bibles now, we just pray that you'll use your word to touch us, to correct us where needed, to help us to better understand who you are and the way that you want us to live. So Lord, uh, thank you that you send the Holy Spirit here. He's the one who opens our minds and hearts to take in what we read and not just to learn it, but to make it a part of us. So thank you, Lord. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to start off in the book of Proverbs. So if you'd like to get a head start and turn there. But let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you, show a raise of hands here, how many of you like to be corrected? Go ahead and raise your hand. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad to see that. You notice I didn't raise mine. <laughs> because uh, correction is something very difficult for a lot of us. And uh, we'll talk about a couple of reasons why that is. But you know what? Correction is a part of our lives, especially as a Christian. It's a part of life for everybody, but especially for a Christian. We know that from the time God first calls us and we start learning about God and reading our Bible, we come to find a lot of things that we're doing wrong in life. And God attempts to correct us. Now, one of the main ways that he corrects us is through his word. But understand, that is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like to read the Bible. <laughs> because you're bound to find things that you're doing wrong that God wants you to change. As long as you don't read this book, you're fine. In your mind, you're great. You're doing just what you enjoy doing and just what you like to do. And you don't really have that much need or reason to change. But from the time God first calls us, our lives are all about change. And God attempts to correct us and take us from the wrong path and to set us on the right path. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's at your workplace, even at church. Receiving correction is a part of life. It's tough. It really is. Yet correction is a huge tool for growth. Amen. Personal growth, spiritual growth, transformation, and that's what God is doing in us. He's transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot in us that doesn't look like Jesus Christ, and that's what God is attempting to change and also for personal development. People who reject correction are stunted in their personal growth. How we respond to correction is an indication of our wisdom level. We cannot avoid that reality if we read the Bible, like I said. God's teaching us wisdom in every word of this book, and he wants us to grow and to develop as Christians. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. We'll look at a couple of Proverbs because uh, Proverbs are all about wisdom. It's written by a man who's trying to teach his son wisdom and how to be successful in life and how to be a godly man. And this verse here in Proverbs 12 verse 1, he says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. And we should all love knowledge. But he who hates correction, this version says, is stupid. I don't know what the King James says, how that's worded there. But uh, it's a little bit more blunt here. Brutish. Brutish. Okay. We cannot hate correction because it's for our benefit. 
And God sends us correction in different ways. One of them is through reading His Word, but when we're stubborn and don't want to read His Word, He'll see to it that correction comes through different avenues. Okay? Turn to Proverbs 9, verses 8 and 9, just a page or so back. Proverbs 9, verses 8 and 9. It tells us, Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. So when you receive godly correction, there should be a certain fondness or love, it says here, toward the person who brought that to you. And that's, that, now that's not human nature. Human nature is to reject the person who brought you correction. To hate them, to not want to have anything to do with them, not listen to them. Notice it says in verse 9, Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. So God wants us to be wise. He wants us to be righteous. Amen. And he sends correction our way for our benefit. One more in uh, Proverbs 11, verse 2. One of the problems we're dealing with when it comes to rejecting correction is our pride. We all have pride. We all have to fight with that. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So pride is something that we all deal with in our lives. We love ourselves a lot. <laughs> and we think very highly of ourselves. And we don't want anybody coming along telling us that we're doing something wrong or that we should improve in certain areas. So this, these verses show us that correction leads to wisdom and humility. You know, a lot of times when we're corrected by someone, it's a humiliating experience, isn't it? But you see, that's one of God's ways of humbling us. He wants us to be humble. You know, we're told in Scripture elsewhere that pride goes before the fall. So if we're proud people and we think so highly about ourselves, uh, chances are bad things are going to happen. So the scripture says, being foolish and proud will prevent us from receiving correction and from growing spiritually. And it's God's will that we all grow spiritually. So we need to be open to correction when it comes. Why is it often difficult to receive correction? I don't know about you, but you know, over the years I can remember times at work where at certain periods of time, it would be time for you to come in uh, and talk to the boss and it was like uh, he was going to analyze how you're doing at work. I never liked to go to those because <laughs> I always knew that there were going to be bad things involved in that. And, you know, the boss would start off by telling you what you're doing right, you know, before he would tell you what you need to improve on. You know, in fact, we used to have a thing here in uh, the church called Spokesman's Club. Some of you old timers remember that where we used to teach church members how to speak publicly. Okay. And we'd go through different types of speeches that you would give. And it was very effective, I think. I went through that, and it helped me to learn how to speak publicly. But what we would do is after the speaker would speak and give his or her speech, that speech would have to be evaluated. So we would pick another member uh, of the group and say, okay, after this speaker speaks, listen intently, and after they're finished, you have to stand up and give your evaluation of their speech, okay? 
One of the things you would do is find out what you felt was wrong with it. But before you could do that, the first thing that you would have to say to this person who just gave the speech is what you felt was right with the speech, what was really good about the speech. And you had to really praise them on what they accomplished before you could ever criticize or you know, correct them on what was wrong. And I think that that was a good, good lesson to learn. And it's something that stuck with me over the years because, you know, there are occasions where you feel that you have to offer correction to somebody. Maybe it's your kids at home or maybe you're at work in a position of authority and from time to time you see something going wrong at work and you have to correct uh, a person or a group, maybe a, a meeting at work where you have to talk about what changes need to be made. And I've learned over the years that it's always good to first compliment the person or the group saying, listen, you're all doing a great job. You know, uh, business is booming. Uh, we're doing so many things successful. But you know, there's one area where I feel we can grow. So we use that approach when it came to the Spokesman's Club. And I think it's a good approach to use just in life in general, because nobody wants to always be corrected. Sometimes we as parents can really get on our kids' nerves and in some ways even destroy their will and their self-esteem because we're always picking on them. And, you know, as parents, I know we've all experienced this, where we get into a rut and it seems that all we've got to say is negative and all we've got to say is critical. And kids can only take so much of that. We need to encourage them and praise them for the things that they're doing right. And that's the way we want God to be with us, you know, because God sees us all the time, and he can certainly pick out a lot of things that we're doing wrong, but nevertheless, he praises us too, and he encourages us. And when you read through the Bible, especially the epistles, that's what the uh, Apostle Paul always did with the different churches. You read through Revelation, and don't forget the message to the churches. It always starts off with good things that that church is doing before it gets to the corrective part. So whenever at work I would be called in to be evaluated at, at certain points in time, I'd go in there, like they used to say in Star Trek, with my shields up <laughs> to block, you know, whatever attack is going to come my way because I know it's coming. The boss has got something against me that he's going to say. So I always kind of went in prepared. So it's difficult for us to receive correction. First of all, because the person who's going to deliver it to us is flawed. We all deal with human nature. We live in a fallen world. And we all have a certain level of being flawed. Uh, chances are, when we offer correction or suggestions for growth, chances are we're not always going to deliver it in the right way. So you're receiving correction from a person who themselves are flawed maybe even more flawed than we are. And that's one of the reasons why we don't like correction. Because when the person tells us what we need to change, the first thing we want to think is, what, are you perfect? Or who died and made you boss anyway? <laughs> now, if you work for a company, you can say, well, you know, the owner actually made me your uh, manager or your supervisor. We want to lash back. We feel like we're being attacked and we want to lash back at them. So that's why, one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to receive correction, because we know that the person correcting us isn't perfect either. The second reason is correction is rarely delivered 
in a pleasing manner or context. Correction is rarely delivered in a pleasing manner or context. It's funny because, you know, I talk to my wife about her job all the time and, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. She's kind of an office manager and she has to sometimes correct those who work under her. And it's always difficult because they take it personally and uh, they want to lash back at her and uh, it's very frustrating for her. It's part of her job, you know, to correct and kind of watch over those under her. But uh, she has to be careful that it's always delivered in a pleasing manner or context with encouragement added to it. Thirdly, uh, the reason it's difficult for us to receive correction is we love ourselves an awful lot and we think we're really good, but we don't see ourselves objectively. And when somebody comes along, whether it be a supervisor or your mate at home, your husband or your wife, sometimes even your kids might have opportunity to correct you. You know, you say the wrong word at home and they say, you know, Daddy, uh, you taught us we're not supposed to use that word. <laughs> and that's hard when your kids correct you or whatever it is that you've done, and they see you do it. You know, we have a certain level of esteem for ourselves, and when we're corrected, we kind of get knocked down a couple of notches, and that's often painful. And the fourth reason why it's difficult to receive correction, we are self-deceived about our true condition. Like I said, we think we're pretty good, because we always compare ourselves to others. But we shouldn't compare ourselves to others. We should compare ourselves to Jesus Christ all the time. And you know what? When we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, there is always room for improvement. And there always will be. So correction is very difficult to receive. We receive it with our shields up. We got these things going on in our mind all the time. Sometimes correction can even really destroy us. And we think, well, what good am I then? You know, and this correction came across so strongly. Oh, I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm a loser. You know, and we go off and pout by ourselves for a while. That's human nature. It's something that affects all of us. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 20. Proverbs 1 and verse 20. Again, it's an encouragement here about how correction is just a part of life. And, uh, you know, we need to see it through God's eyes, knowing that it's something that is going to benefit us and something that is actually good for us. This is a segment of scripture here where wisdom is kind of speaking. It makes wisdom a person, not that wisdom is a person, but it's a a type of literature where you make wisdom to be a person and wisdom speaks. Notice it says in Proverbs 1 verse 20, wisdom, something we all want to have, wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street she cries out. In the gateways of the city she makes her speech. And this is what wisdom says to us. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, when wisdom corrects us, when teaches us we should do the right thing instead of the wrong, if you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me, we reject wisdom when we reject correction. 
But since you rejected me when I called and no longer gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listened to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you were bound and determined to do something, to make this decision, to invest this money here, or to whatever it may be? In, case, in some cases, it might have even been marriage, where everybody was telling you, hey, this is wrong for you. That person is not right for you. And you were bound and determined to marry them anyway. Or you were going to invest your money in this scheme. Or you wanted to get rich quick. And you wouldn't listen to advice. You wouldn't listen to wisdom as it came from other people who loved you and wanted what was best for you. You went ahead and did it anyway. And it turned out to be a total disaster. And like it says here, later you think to yourself, oh, if I had only listened. Those people were trying to help me, and you regret it. And you think, oh, if only I would have listened and would have changed my mind about that. You know, that happens to all of us in life. But it's the penalty we pay for not listening to correction. Not listening to wisdom that was offered to us by others. Now, I'm not saying that the advice other people offer you is always right. But I think we at least need to consider it. We need to take time and say, wait a minute, is God speaking to me through these individuals and trying to straighten me out? Am I just not thinking, not using wisdom about this decision that I'm going to make, and will I end up suffering the consequences for it? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This is actually known as the correction chapter in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll begin in verse 7. You know, when we're called by God, of course, we've kind of come out of society and come out of the world. And we suffered a lot of penalties for the sins that we've committed. And finally, we come to understand Jesus as our Savior and we accept him and we're baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit, and, you know, God doesn't say to us, well, you know what, you're good where you are. <laughs> as far as your life is concerned, I, I think you're good now. So now that you've been baptized, just go ahead and live on the way you've always been living, and that's not the case in any of our lives. When God calls us, we're just kind of some raw material in His hands, kind of like clay. He's the potter and we're the clay. And that's just the beginning of a new life, a changed life, a life where we put aside the wrong ways, the sins that we've been committing, and God is creating something new in us. He's changing, making a lot of changes. And you know what? I've been a Christian for many, many years, some of you longer than I, and that changing never stops. That correction never stops in our life. 
to the day we die, God is working with us. He's molding us and shaping us. So again, discipline is a part of a Christian's life. Notice he says in Hebrews 12, verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So many of us have been parents and we know what it's like to have kids. At some point in time, you need to start teaching them right from wrong, you know, praising them for doing right and disciplining them for doing something wrong. And if we didn't do that for our kids, they'd grow up, they'd grow up to be what? You know, they wouldn't be able to fit into society. They wouldn't be able to function. They certainly wouldn't be learning about God and right and wrong. And, you know, there are some people like that. In fact, uh, in our society today, the trend seems to be, well, don't you dare discipline your kids. You know, you uh, just give them a time out if they need one or, you know, let them figure it out. Even when it comes to truth about God. Well, I'm not going to teach my kids anything about God. I'll let them get older and they'll figure it out themselves. Well, that's a losing proposition because without training and without the proper upbringing, they're never living in a, a world run by Satan. They're never going to figure it out. So discipline is part of our life. And we're God's children. And him being the perfect father, yeah, he's going to discipline us. He says in verse 9, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. So sometimes parents discipline their kids out of anger, out of frustration, God doesn't discipline like that. He always disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So I don't know about you, but whenever I was disciplined, and I go all the way back to my childhood, I never liked it. <laughs> I hated it. But sometimes, even as adults, when we're disciplined, it says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however. So what we need to do when we're disciplined, sure, we feel down, we feel like losers, we feel hopeless, but we just need to pray about it and reflect on what happened and why. And what is God trying to show us? You know, even if somebody gives you discipline the wrong way and you don't think you deserve it, there's always a kernel of truth there. There's something that God is trying to point out to you. So reflect on it. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is going to help you see what it is about yourself that you need to change. So don't cast off all discipline. Don't lash back at the person who disciplines you. Don't hate, you know, discipline when it comes. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, it's hard to deal with, but later, give it a day or two, sleep on it, think about it, consider it, ask God, Lord, what were you trying to show me by this whole mess here? 
I feel humiliated, I feel this, I feel that. But God says, here's what I was trying to show you. And there's always something there if we're honest with ourselves. So he says, verse 12, you know, when you're feeling really beaten up by discipline and correction, he says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. It's not that bad. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You know, what happened to you and what was done to you was for a purpose. Just consider it, pray about it, and God will help you see how he wants you to grow. There's a wonderful example back in Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, in the life of Moses. Let's turn back there just real briefly. It talks about the right way to give correction. And we talked about, you know, starting it off with some positive encouragement, and that's always helpful. We know that Moses had just brought the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus. And, you know, there were upwards of a million people in the Exodus. That's how many. And here's one man, Moses, who was called by God to lead them out of Egypt and eventually to the Promised Land. So you can imagine yourself in Moses' position... You're standing on a mountain and you're looking out over this vast number of peoples here that you're pretty much overall in charge of. And later on, Moses had his complaints. You know, these people won't listen to me. These people are rebellious. And he's trying to deal with God as he's supposed to deal with all these people. Well, at one point in time, God sent Moses, his father-in-law, along. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law, well, let's pick it up actually in verse 13. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. So here he is in the midst of million people, and all these people with problems and complaints are coming to him personally, and he's got to hear all of their cases and make a decision. It says in verse 14, When his father-in-law, Jethro, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. So you can imagine this line of hundreds of people waiting to speak to Moses personally so that their problems can be solved. Moses' father-in-law replied, What are you doing? What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you and cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God. Bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands you, we'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So Moses could have said, hey, do you know who you're talking to? I'm Moses. I'm the one who spoke to God in the burning bush. I'm the one that God put in charge of all this. Who, are you? who do you think you are coming to me telling me what to do? 
who are you after all? You know, you're my father-in-law. I didn't ask for your advice. See, that's human nature. That's the way we would think. But Moses humbled himself. And he put into practice what Jethro recommended. You can't have a line of a thousand people waiting to speak to you personally. Assign people under you to handle the simple cases, and if there's one overwhelmingly difficult case, that can be brought to you. Everybody's going to be happy. You're not going to go to an early grave stressing yourself out. But notice that Moses brought the suggestion in a real positive way. He asked a question. How is this all working out for you with this line of a thousand people waiting to speak to you? So he took the advice and it became a blessing. So God was, wanted to speak, give Moses advice, and he did it through his father-in-law. So when God needs to correct us, we don't you know, wake up one morning and hear God's voice booming down from heaven. You know, you lunkhead, you need to straighten this out. You know, here, here's the way you should do it. No, God will test our humility by correcting us through another person. Maybe it's our wife. Maybe it's our husband. Sometimes that's hard to take, but, you know, you've joined yourselves together as a team. Why not use your mate to correct you? Like I said, sometimes it's your kids who correct you. Sometimes it's your boss or your manager at work who corrects you. Sometimes it's a teacher who corrects you. Sometimes it's even a minister who can offer correction and help. You know, we're really fond of correcting others, aren't we? But we don't like to be corrected. As the old saying goes, we can dish it out, but we can't take it. And we often, maybe too often, try to correct other people. Maybe when it's not even our responsibility to correct them. Maybe you've got a person at work who's always into your business, always watching you, and very prone to correct you, even when you don't want it or don't need it. You know, if you're at work and you're put in a position of responsibility over other people, yeah, then you do have to offer correction from time to time. Don't nag them or be on their back, but for the sake of the company and the business, yeah, you have to offer correction. Hopefully you can do it in the right way, in a grace-filled way. Amen. In the way you would want to be corrected. That's the way you need to correct others. We also correct others, and these are good reasons. We genuinely have their best interest at heart. You know, you might have a friend that you see struggling for one reason or another, and it's very apparent to you why they're struggling and why they're suffering. And sometimes God urges you, you need to say something to them. Maybe it's one of your family members that you see struggling. And you very clearly see what the problem is. And God puts it on your heart to, to say a word or to uh, offer correction. Those are good reasons to correct other people. Now, God doesn't expect us to be in other people's business all the time, snooping on them trying to find ways to correct them. Nobody likes a person like that. Who wants to be around a person like that? I don't. But there are also bad reasons why we like to correct others, because we like to control others. We want to micromanage other people's lives. Have you ever known anybody like that? I have. That's a wrong reason to correct others. Other people are free to live their lives as they choose and to receive the blessings or to suffer the consequences for it. 
but we're all free. God gives us freedom. Also, another wrong reason to correct others, we see the same faults in others that we have in ourselves, and it's easier to correct them to correct those faults in others. That's weird, isn't it? Where you see somebody else with a problem and you're always correcting them, but someday you come to realize, you know what, I've got the same problem. I don't want to correct myself, but I'll correct it in others when I see it. And that's really hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus Christ had to correct the Pharisees many times for that. They would go around and correct other people for what they saw in their lives when the Pharisees had the same problems themselves. Self-righteousness. And another wrong reason for correcting others is we lash out at others due to the frustrations in our life. Did you ever have days where maybe things are going wrong and you just find yourself on edge and it's like the least little thing other people do, it just annoys you so much and you're just correcting them. And you say, man, did you get off on the wrong side of the bed this morning? <laughs> My wife has asked me that question from time to time. I said, there's only one way I can get out of bed. If I go the other way, I'll hit the wall. <laughs> But it just seems that you have bad days. And when you find yourself having one of those bad days and everything irritates you and everybody gets on your nerves, you know what? You just need to zip it. You just need to keep your mouth closed. And maybe tomorrow will be better. Because nothing coming out of your mouth that day is going to do anybody any good. But again, we're still striving against human nature we all have struggles in our lives. We all have dysfunctionality in our life to one extent or another, and we're battling that. But be very careful. Don't correct others unless it is your responsibility to do so. If it's your, your kids that you're dealing with, and, and make sure if it's somebody at work that you're in a position of authority over and it's your responsibility to correct uh, problems, do it in the way that you would want to be corrected. Do it in a grace-filled way. First, praise the person for what they're doing right and what you so admire in them. And then when you do offer words of correction, offer encouragement as well, that you're sure that they're going to be able to uh, you know, deal with this situation and rectify it, or if it's something at work that people aren't following procedures, say, you know what, we're all on a team together. We all want to be successful, and we all want to see this company thrive. So let's uh, you know, put into practice some of these suggestions now. And I just know you can do it, and I know that it's going to turn out just great. And how about praying for the people that you have to offer correction to? That's very important. Before you ever go to them, pray and say, Lord, help me to say the right words to them, and help them to take it in the right way. And hope they can sense in my approach and the way I deliver it that their best interests are at heart for me. That I want to see them succeed. Because that's the way God corrects us. And that's the way we should correct others. And when correction does come our way and we have to deal with it, even though it's difficult at the time and it's embarrassing and it's awkward, as the scripture said in Hebrews, later on it produces righteousness. So sometimes we have to take it home, we have to sleep on it. Maybe sometimes we even have to thank the person who has corrected us. Say, hey, I appreciate your concern. 
And I'll really give that a lot of thought and I'll, I'll work on that. Correction is a humiliating thing, but doesn't God want us to be humble? You know, we're, we're no good to him if we're self-righteous and, and super, you know, all about ourselves. Our ego is so inflated that we can't even stand it when somebody offers any kind of correction or encouragement to us. But this is our life as Christians. From the time we're first called until the time Jesus Christ returns, we're being changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And most of us have come a long way, and God is very pleased. But he's going to keep working with us and working on us to the very end. Okay? He's assured that we're going to make it already. He knows that we're going to be there. But it is his goal to provide the growth, the wisdom, and the spiritual correction that we need along the way. So by God's grace, we're going to be able to deal with this. And we're going to continue to grow and develop as Christians in ways that are pleasing to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this difficult word today. Correction is, is very difficult. We're not God and we're not perfect like you are. And you have so much to correct in our lives, but even when you do, you do it in a loving way. Help us to be aware of it. Help us to want to grow and develop. Help us never to reject correction when it comes, but to realize it's in our best interest and blessings will flow from it. So Lord, uh, for our correction in the future, make it light and easy to take, but help us to learn from it, the lessons intended. And whenever we have to correct somebody, help us to correct them in a godly way, in a grace-filled way, because they're more likely to respond when we do it that way, Lord. So give us the wisdom to do that and help us along the way. We love you, and we pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.